Well, it's been a few weeks since we've been in the book of Ephesians. And uh, so I want you to take God's word and go to Ephesians. We're, we're going to be in chapter 3. But before we get to chapter 3, I thought it might be good for us to read a little bit of chapter 2 and uh, kind of set the context for tonight's study. Because what Paul writes about in chapter 3 really is built upon what he's already said uh, in chapter 2. And I if you got your Bibles, uh, by the way, tonight's a night when you need a limber Bible. I mean, one of those Bibles just kind of broke in real good. And tonight's one of those nights when you need to be able to flip to this page and that page and this section and that page. You need a limber Bible tonight. And if you don't have a limber Bible, tonight would be a good night to break your Bible in. All right? And if you don't even have a Bible, you can borrow one right there in the pew. You can use it tonight while you're here. And you can open it to Ephesians chapter 2. Or if you've got a tablet, if you've got a smartphone, tonight's a good night to have that too because you can go quickly and the rest of us will catch up with you eventually, okay? So we've got lots to dig into tonight and I hope that you're going to follow very closely and uh, not just sit there but follow along in the text with us. I want us, now that you've found Ephesians chapter 2, I want us to pause, I want us to pray and then we're going to get right into the study because we've got lots of good things to look at tonight. Father, I pray, I thank you that, that you have given us your word, your word that is eternal, your word that uh, is applicable even to our day, the word that in such a fascinating way was written by a man we've never met, written by a man long before we ever came on the scene. And yet what he says is so personal and applicable to us today. God, we recognize that can only be by your Holy Spirit, by your Holy Word. And so thank you for this privilege that we have to look at your word and thank you for the helper that we have in the Holy Spirit to help us understand the word better. I pray that the Holy Spirit will indeed be our teacher tonight. And I pray that these, your people, will hear from heaven tonight in a very special way. Now, Lord, as we pause, we want to remember that we are part of something really big in this world. Show us what that is tonight as we study. And I ask that in Christ's name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2. Let's, again, we're just reading for background information so we can understand better Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 2, we'll begin in verse 11. Just scan our way quickly uh, through that text. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, Paul's, the uncircumcised were called who? Gentiles. The circumcised were called Jews. All right? So this is a conflict that he was writing about between Jew and Gentile. Verse 12, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, you Gentiles were, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. There was a time when the Jews kind of had the corner market on God. This is what Paul was saying. There was a time when you didn't have the promises they had. You didn't have the word that they had. You didn't have the history that they had. You didn't have the connection that, that they had. You didn't have citizenship, God's family, like they did. You were, Paul says, you were without hope and without God in the world. But now, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Isn't that beautiful? 
I, mean, I, could, I could just go back and re-preach all of this. This is so good. Verse 14. For he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two. Out of the two what, church? Out, I'm sorry? Yes, out of two groups, the Jew and Gentile. His, his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. That is such a central uh, verse in this text. Uh, you might want to highlight that one in your Bible. Uh, verse 17, He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. Those who are far away were Gentiles. Those who were near were Jews. He came, he came to preach peace to both of those, for through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, in Christ, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple of the Lord. And in him, in Christ, you two are being built together, together, Jew and Gentile, to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Now, that was just kind of a rehearsal reminder of where we were, and we come now to chapter 3. Chapter 3 is probably the most intensely personal section in the letter. It's basically a prayer that Paul is praying, and it is interesting, it is a prayer that is interrupted. It's a prayer that is interrupted by a long digression. I had never noticed this before until I was studying for this particular lesson. That Paul begins in chapter 3 to pray a prayer, He's interrupted, and he gets off track for a good while, and then he comes back to his prayer. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, and then notice that little dash there. Skip down to verse uh, 14. Look what he does. He picks up his thought again. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, and then, then he tells us about the prayer. So when you look at chapter 3, verse 1, and chapter 3, verse 14, it's very obvious, especially when you see that little dash in verse 1. Paul is starting a prayer, and then he gets sidetracked. And he doesn't pick up his prayer until verse 14. So what sidetracks Paul? Chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, notice this, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. You have to ask yourself, what, what made him lose his train of thought and take him on this big digression? Because verses uh, 2 through 13 is this big digression where he changes track. He, he's, he's about to pray. He's about to, he's on his, you can picture him this way. He's on his knees and, and, and he's about to pray and, and he thinks about the Gentiles and and all of a sudden, he's off on another track. All of a sudden, he's thinking about them as he writes this letter. So it's important that we understand why Paul got off track. The problem that prompted Paul to kind of get off track, if you will, is that he is in jail and he's suffering. And he is a prisoner in jail for Christ Jesus. And tell us, if you look in verse 1, why is he suffering? 
according to verse 1, why is he suffering? The end of verse 1, what? For the sake of you Gentiles. Pauls. There's that dash. Pauls. All of a sudden, in the middle of what Paul started out to be writing out a prayer, all of a sudden, he changes, he gets sidetracked, and he talks about the Gentiles. Now, this is where you need a, a well-worn, flimsy Bible. And I want you to follow closely. If you've got a tablet or a phone, you can go real quickly to us. Let me rehearse some scriptures for you and help you understand what Paul meant when he said, for the sake of you Gentiles. So let's, and if, there's just some places there. There's not a fill in the blank on your notes, but I try to leave you some room to take some notes. First of all, let me remind you that Paul was a Jew by birth. In fact, uh, before Christ saved him, Paul was one of the leading Jews of his day. Uh, go with me to, over to the left, one book, to the book of Galatians, chapter 1, verse 13. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Paul was a Jew that, that was excelling in Judaism. Now, Please remember that. And yet, something happened to Paul while he was a Jew. You know the story, but let's go over to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul, also named as Paul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, followers of Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Now, Saul later tells this story again, except when he tells the story, he gives us more information. So let's go to, to uh, the book of Acts. Uh, look in chapter 26, verse 13. Acts chapter 26, verse 13 through 18. Acts 26, verse 13. About noon, O king, Saul's telling his story. He's telling how he came to faith in Christ. Well, let's start in verse 12. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, O king, I was on the road. I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you. Wait a minute. Look, look at what you're about to read. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant. And as, what's that next word? And as a witness of what you have seen of me 
and what I will show you. And then he tells in verse 17, I will rescue you from your own people. Who's his own people? Jews. Remember that statement. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. In other words, you're going to be in a situation where nobody likes you. You're going to be in a situation where everybody's out to get you. All right? Glad that you're here, by the way. <laughs> and, and then, so he says, uh, I will, verse 17, I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them, to the Gentiles, to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Uh, there's several other passages we could read. We don't have the time. But in different letters that Paul wrote, Paul acknowledges that God had appointed him as a missionary to the Gentiles. His primary mission field were the Gentiles. Now, how do you think that made the Jews feel? Jealous. That's a good word. Huh? Betrayed. That's a very good word. How did it make... This is the interesting thing. You've got Jews, and then you've got Jewish Christians, Jewish believers. We can understand that the Jews were betrayed and jealous and all that. But Paul became known, his title became preacher to the Gentiles, missionary to the Gentiles. Guess what? The Jewish believers, especially the Jews in, uh, Jewish believers in, Judea, in uh, Judea and Jerusalem, the Jewish believers there at the home place all of a sudden started to turn against Paul as well. They began to... If they had had telephones back then, they would have been on the phone. Talking about what they didn't like and what they were upset about and what was bad about Paul and, what, and he's ruining this thing. They were against Jewish believers. In Judea, especially in Jerusalem began to be jealous of Paul and maybe feeling a little bit let down or betrayed. What's the word I'm looking for? Maybe feeling a little bit neglected because Paul was focused on the Gentiles. In fact... You can almost hear them talking on the telephone, can't you? He doesn't care about us. He, he, he just ran off, and, and now he, all he cares about are the Gentiles. He, he, he doesn't care about us who are Jews. Well, he, he doesn't care about where he grew up. You can almost hear them sniping and talking. This fascinates me, what Paul did. One of the things that Paul did to try to address that situation... Paul took up a special love offering from the Gentile churches that he traveled to to take back to the needy believers in Judea. Now get this in your mind. You've never had this problem, have you? You've never dealt with anybody that was angry with you, have you? Everybody's always loved you and supported you and understood you and they always had the best intentions toward you, right? Isn't that right, Dave? Isn't that right? Yeah. Okay. 
Paul knows that the people back in Judea, especially in the city of Jerusalem, he knows that the believers there, who there are, there are Jews who became believers in Christ, he knows that those Jewish believers are against him. So rather than just write them off and say, forget about them. I'm the Gentile, I'm the preacher to the Gentiles anyway. Rather than just saying, well, that's their problem, here's what he did. When he was preaching in the Gentile churches, he, he would say, by the way, folks, we need to take up a love offering for our brothers, for our brothers in Jerusalem. We need to have, we need to get, the, there's some needy people there. That, because they were Jews and they turned to Christ, they're really suffering in Jerusalem. They're, they got it hard there. And so we need to take up a love offering. And so wherever he went to these Gentile churches, he'd take, a, uh, take up a love offering. And he didn't send it to them. He, watch this, he took it to them. Personally delivered it to them. Because he was the one that everybody said, he doesn't care about us. So there came a day when Paul came walking into town with his, this is just Kleenex, but he came walking into town with his box of money. And he brought his box of money to the leaders of the Jewish believers and said, this is from your brothers, the Gentiles. We just wanted you to know they love you. And I love you. Everything's hunky-dory now, right? Not quite. Not quite. Even, even though Paul did everything he could to pacify the Jewish believers and to show the, the Jews in Jerusalem that he was not their enemy, something really bad happened. Go to Acts chapter 21. Let me show you what happened. Acts chapter 21. Paul, with great intentions, came to Jerusalem to help and he stepped into the middle of a mess. Acts chapter 21. We don't have time to read the entire text. You might want to go back and read it uh, later. But let's pick up in verse 27. This is after Paul arrives in Jerusalem. Um, verse 27. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Men of Israel, help us. This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple area and defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple area. The whole city was aroused and the people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut. Well, while they were trying to kill him, while they were trying to do what? I'd say they were pretty upset, wouldn't you? While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd, and when the, when the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. Well, basically, I came here and I had this love offering and I was going to try to help some people and just trying to make sure everybody felt loved and encouraged. And that's kind of really what it was all about. But here's, 
Some, he didn't get a chance to say all of that. Verse 34, some of the crowd shouted one thing and some another. And since the commander could not get at the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. And when Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great, he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed kept shouting, away with him. Now, fast forward. As Paul is walking with the soldiers in this crowd, he finally gets the attention of one of the soldiers, the commanders, and asks for permission to address this angry mob. And here's what, what he does. Chapter 22, verse 1. Or let's, let's start in verse 40 of chapter 21. Having received the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. And when they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. And he gives this long defense and he gives a great testimony of, of how God has changed his life and what God had, had appointed him to do. And we pick up the story when, in verse 21. This is as he's giving his testimony. He says, Then the Lord said to me, and by the way, everybody's listening. Everybody is tuned in. Everybody is quiet. They're listening to Paul as he shares his story and his testimony. Everybody is quiet. Then, verse, it says in verse 21, Then the Lord said to me, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Until he mentioned the Gentiles. Now, he was, in, he was with all the Jews, and when Paul mentioned the Gentiles, that set them off. They raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him. He is not fit to live. As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered Paul to be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and questioned in order to find out why the people were shouting to him or shouting at him like this. Uh, we don't have time to read the rest of that account, but I want you to run back over to Ephesians because um, I want you to read this verse out loud with me. Ephesians chapter 3, with that background, what you've just read about Paul went to Jerusalem trying to help, trying to pacify, trying to make peace, trying to minister to everybody, and it all turned against him. And all of a sudden, people were, were shouting to rid the earth of him. People, he, he was flogged. He was beaten. He was imprisoned. I want you to read chapter 3 if you have the NIV. Chapter 3, verse 1. Let's reread that verse now with that background. Let's reread it together. For this reason... I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. And all of a sudden, Paul's, his mind begins to go on a different track. Paul realizes that he is where he is because of the Gentiles. But rather than take off on a tangent and tell them how bad they are and all those kind of things. He, he begins to think about what God has done in his life and what God was doing through his life for the sake of the Gentiles. Now we'll get to that in just a moment, but let me ask you a question. What do you do when you're in the middle of trials that discourage you? What do you do when you're caught in the middle of suffering and sometimes the suffering is not your fault? What do you do when all of a sudden you're trying to do the right thing and it turns into the wrong thing? 
It's a very relevant question because some of you here tonight might be dealing with stuff that's overwhelming. Some of you may be dealing with things that are problems that are painful. Some of you may be dealing with suffering and discouragement just from trying to live out your faith. Paul gives us insight in how we can handle those times of trials and suffering. And this is on your notes. Number one, he remembered that he is part of something bigger. You see, when Paul wrote these words, chapter 3, verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, pause, a little dash means pause, his mind started going in a different direction. He suddenly remembered he was not just in prison. Watch this. He was part of something bigger that God was doing. Let's see what it is. Kind of fascinating. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly. In reading this then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to men in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God or the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of His power. Now there was a word, if you were listening or following along, reading closely, there was a word that is repeated several times in that text. In fact, if I counted it correctly, it's repeated four times. What word did you see repeated in that text? Mystery. Mystery. How many times do you see it used in this text? And in what verses? Verse 3, verse 4, verse 6, and verse 9. Let's examine what Paul had in mind when he said... You know what, I, I'm here in prison for the sake of you Gentiles. Pause. All of a sudden, he began to think of why he was really there. And he, he began to think about this mystery that he was part of. And, and he began to realize that his life was part of something bigger than just a prison cell. The secret that Paul was a part of was a divine secret. Put that on your notes. The secret was, was a divine secret. Now, if, if you want to write this on your note somewhere, the word mystery or secret means a truth that was hidden by God in times past, but is now revealed to those uh, who are part of God's family. And we say that again, you can write it down. The word mystery here means a truth that was hidden by God in times past, but now is revealed to those who are in His family. You might refer to it as, this way, it was a sacred secret. I want to write that down. It was a sacred secret. Do you, do you have any family secrets? You don't have to tell me what they are, but you know, sometimes families have secret recipes. Have you ever been to somebody's house and said, oh, I'm looking at somebody right now. Have you ever been to somebody's house and said, John, why don't you put on those ribs? You're never, ever, ever going to know, are you? You can enjoy them, but you're never going to know. It's a, it's a secret. It's a family secret of how he cooks ribs or brisket or those kind of things some of you've got a your mom had a secret pie
pie or, or a recipe for a, for a pie or a cake. And that was that family secret recipe. God has a secret too. And when Paul was in prison, remember now, he wrote this letter from prison. And when he wrote these words, for this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, that led him to begin to think about this sacred secret that he was a part of. Now, according to verse 3, how did Paul find out about this sacred secret? By revelation? What does that mean? Yes, exactly. It was something that God revealed to him. I alluded to this even today, that there are certain things that we cannot know unless God reveals it to us. Our finite minds can never conceive the plans and the ways of God. We depend upon revelation. We depend upon God revealing things to us. Now, I want you to notice that this was a well-guarded secret. Look at verse 5. What does it say about this well-guarded secret in verse 5? Yeah, now this is something very interesting. Paul says, this sacred secret that, that God has allowed me to be a part of, this is something that was not known to previous generations. What about Abraham? No, he didn't know about it. What about Moses? No, he didn't know about it. What about David? He was a man after God's own heart. No, he didn't know about it. This secret was something that God was keeping secret. And nobody knew about it. Until. Until God revealed it. And who did he reveal it to, class? Who did he reveal it to? To Paul. He revealed it to Paul. Look at, look at verse 5. Which was not made known to men in other generations. As it, is now, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. So it wasn't just Paul. It was to others as well. But, but, but certainly to Paul. Uh, as, as he is part of this sacred secret that has been revealed. Now, why do you think that this secret became so important to Paul? Why was he thinking about that while he was in the prison cell? Any, any thoughts on that? Why, as he's writing this letter, and as he comes to chapter 3, and he's writing out this prayer, for this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, why all of a sudden did he put a dash there and, and get sidetracked into something else? Why did this sacred secret matter so much to Paul as he was sitting in a prison cell? He gave everything for it. Good. He gave everything for it. Right? That's right. It was from his support was coming from the Gentiles. Good answers. Anybody got another? Why did it mean so much to Paul at this time? Why was he thinking about it so much? 
I'll say that again, Evelyn. God, God had called him to reveal it. I, I, I believe if I could put it to you this way, my answer would be this. He needed to know that his life mattered. He needed to know that he was doing something that, count, that was going to count. He needed to know that he had a purpose, even in prison. He's sitting there. I don't know, maybe you've never had this. Have you ever had one of those pity parties? Huh? And, and, and you just, I'm going to be careful on these steps because they're dangerous. Sometimes you can, just, you can just sit there in your own prison cell and you feel so bad and look what has happened to me and look how bad things have gotten and, and, and just, just look at how awful things are for me. And, and he's chained. He's literally chained and he's, he can't go anywhere. And He used to be a preacher of the gospel. He used to be one that traveled the world and started churches. And, and now he's chained. And he came to Jerusalem trying to help somebody. He came with money in his hands. And he was trying to help people. And they turned against him. And, and now he's chained up in prison. And, and then he realizes, I'm part of something bigger than this prison cell. And he starts thinking about that sacred secret that God had revealed to him. And all of a sudden, the light bulbs came on. Because he's part of something bigger than just the suffering he's going through. Can I say to you, Matt might be the reason you're here tonight. If you're suffering, but you're trying to live for Jesus, you're part of something bigger than the suffering you're going through. If you're trying to share the gospel, if you have the desire to make His name known, you are part of something bigger than the suffering you're going through. I found this. I'm just going to have to read it to you because I can't tell the story as well as this guy who wrote it. He said, In the spring of 1940, Hitler had the Allied forces in a corner and was getting ready to invade Great Britain. His troops were closing in on the Allies in what was going to be an easy kill. Nearly a quarter million young British soldiers and over 100,000 Allied troops faced capture or death, and the Royal Navy could only save a small fraction of this number. But a bizarre fleet of ships appeared on the horizon of the English Channel. Trawlers, tugs, fishing sloops, lifeboats, sailboats, pleasure craft, an island ferry named Gracie Fields, and even the America's Cup Challenger Endeavor, all manned by civilian sailors, sped to the rescue. The ragtag armada eventually rescued 338,682 men and returned them home to the shores of England as, as the pilots of the Royal Air Force jockeyed with the German pilots in the skies above the channel. It was one of the most remarkable naval operations in history, and for those few days they were more than trawlers and fishing boats they could put up... I'm sorry. And for those few days they were more than trawlers and fishing boats, and they could put up with all kinds of trials because they had a purpose. They weren't just fishing boats anymore. 
They weren't just trawlers anymore. They weren't just the, the pilot of a, of a ferry anymore. Now they had a bigger purpose. And you can have the same thing happen in your life. It's the gospel that gives us purpose, and we're part of something bigger than the trial we're going through. So regardless of the trial we're going through, when we recognize, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm part of the gospel. I'm part of what God wants to do in this world, what God wants to accomplish in this world. When suddenly we get a bigger picture, and all of a sudden the suffering doesn't seem to be quite so bad. Does that make sense? So let's, let's pick up the story and read it now. Chapter 3, Paul's talking about this sacred secret, this mystery, verse 6, is that through the gospel... The Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. This is one of those nights when I wish I had an eight-foot board that I could write on. Uh, if I had this eight-foot board, I, I would I, up here, I just want to diagram for you what this sacred secret is all about. I'm going to try my best to describe it to you. But the sacred secret was this. Up until the time of the New Testament days, God had not shared with anybody... His plan for the church. He had not shared that He planned to bring Jew and Gentile together. He had not planned that, that these two groups that absolutely hated one, one another would be brought together into one body to form one unit, to form one group working for the same purpose, and that this two would become one through the blood of the cross. He had not shared that with anybody. Until the New Testament days, and God began to share it with the apostles and the prophets, and He shared it with the Apostle Paul. And the secret is explained, as I said in verse 6. Read it again in verse 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, notice I underline that, through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together, underline circle, together with Israel. Members, what's that next word? Together of one body. Sharers, what's that next word? Together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Remember what he said in chapter 2, verse 12? Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenant, without hope. You were excluded, you were separate at one time, but now you are together, he says. Here's the secret. God was going to form a new community called the church. And if you'll just take a few moments, you say, okay, God is going to do this. And Paul says in verse 7, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of His power. And although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this, what? This mystery, this sacred secret, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who has created all things. Now, if you've been tracking with me, you could probably say, well, Pastor Keith, that is interesting, and that sounds good, but my name is not the Apostle Paul. And you can say how Paul was part of something bigger, and in prison he realized that he was part of something bigger. But my name is not the Apostle Paul. If you look on your outlines... Point one was what? Read it to me. Somebody read out. What's number one? All right. What's number two? Yeah. 
Yeah, because in, in verse 10, we move from Paul to the church. Watch this. In verse 10, we move from Paul to you. See, Paul was part of something bigger, but he also wants us to understand anybody who claims Christ as Savior, we are part of something bigger too. We are part of something far bigger than just this box called Mount Airy Baptist Church. We're, we're, some, we're part of something far bigger than just this place we call Mount Airy Baptist Church. Ladies and gentlemen, as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are part of something big. Let's read about it, verse 10. His intent was that now, through the church, not just through Paul, not just through the, through the prophets, not just through the apostles, his intent was that now, through the church, I would underline through the church, underline it, circle it, highlight it, but now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, the multicolored wisdom of God, should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to His eternal purpose which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Him and through faith in Him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you which are your glory. Verse 14, For this reason... I kneel before the Father, and he says, oh, by the way, let me get back to my prayer. But let, let me, just in the last few minutes, I'm going to let you go early tonight. Everybody okay with that? I held you long today, so I'm going to let you go early tonight, all right? Let, let me just close with this. And, and I'm, I'm trying to be very concise, but also very accurate. In verse 10, he talks about what God wants to do through the church. Ladies and gentlemen, I want, I want to make sure you get this concept that we are part of something bigger than just us. You know what, you know what it is that God wants to do through Mount Airy Baptist Church? God wants the gospel to go forth from here. We're part of something bigger than, than just our group of people. And I'm not talking about the number of people. God wants something huge to happen here. God wants us to take the gospel to the corners of, of the earth. Can I put it to you this way? The mystery was called a, I referred to it as a sacred what? A sacred what? Secret. Here's what God wants to do through Mount Airy Baptist Church. He doesn't want it to be a secret anymore. It was a secret for a while. It was a secret for several ages. It was a secret until Paul came along. But now, through the church, God doesn't want it to be a secret anymore. God is depending on the church. He says, but now, through the church, God's going to do His work. He's depending on the church. 
And that scares me. I was having a conversation with some, with some of our, our church members on Wednesday night as we were out in the community. And it scares me because, you, did you know, I just heard this at the Southern Baptist Convention, just Southern Baptist churches, we are losing, in Southern Baptist Convention, we are losing 800 to 1,000 churches a year. Closing down, locked the doors, no longer here. Seventy to eighty percent of the churches in Southern Baptist Convention are plateaued or declining. Only ten percent of the churches in Southern Baptist Convention are actually growing. The churches are closing every day around us. And even those churches that are still open, if you'll go to many of them, on a Sunday morning they'll have fifteen. And 30, maybe 35 or 40, when they used to have hundreds. And yet, I read in my Bible, in chapter 3, verse 10, his intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. Through the church. I got a news flash for you. The Apostle Paul is no longer here. How is the gospel going to be spread? Because Paul is no longer here. Paul says, God's still got a plan. It's the church. The church is his plan. And if the churches keep closing the doors, why are we surprised that America is going down the tubes? If the churches are dying and ineffective, why would, be, why would we be surprised that Satan is, is, is just so rampant in our society? So let me give you an application. You know, sometimes, before I tell you the application, let me just throw this in here. Sometimes people say, well, God doesn't need us. He can do anything He wants to. And that is true. God is sovereign. Would you agree with that? God's sovereign. Would you agree with that? Say amen. God is sovereign. No doubt about it. And, and sometimes people make this kind of statement. Well, we got, we got, a, we got a, a sign up out front. The door's unlocked. If they want to come, they can come. God's sovereign. He can do anything He wants to. He doesn't need us. No, He doesn't need us, but praise God, He's chosen to use us. It's His plan. Through the church, the gospel would be made known to those who don't know it. That's why. That's why I ask you to have that impact card and you're praying for people every day and trying to share the gospel. That's why we're asking you to go on mission trips uh, locally, globally. That's why. We're having the Backyard Bible Clubs on Wednesday nights and asking you as Sunday school classes to, to go out into the community on Wednesday nights during the month of June and, and try to impact the community because God says, here's my plan through the church. The gospel is to be gone out, be spread. So bow your heads, I'm going to close and this is the application. Pray this prayer with me tonight. 
You just pray it silently. You don't have to pray it out loud. Just pray it silently. Lord God, help me to be the church through whom you can work this week for your glory. Lord, help me to be the church through whom you can work this week for your glory. Lord, help me to be the church this week through whom you can work for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.